Kia ora, you're listening to Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific, Kokoroi Hawkins, Tokoingua. Coming up. This is a landmark case because our judiciary has never actually convicted anyone of an environmental crime. A Chinese companies fined $1 million for environmental damages in Fiji. We're now waiting for the impeachment trial to begin and second May 13. CNMI Governor Ralph Torres' impeachment is stirring political rivalries in CNMI. The idea behind Satoshi Island is to create a crypto city where 100% of the economy is run on a blockchain. And we talk with the people working to make a Vanuatu island the focus of the cryptocurrency world. A controversial Chinese resort development company has been fined $1 million Fijian dollars for environmental damages. Friso Limited was convicted last year for destroying coastal mangroves and bridging a channel through coral reefs on Malolo Island in the country's Mamanuda Group. The company was convicted last year for breaching two counts of Fiji's Environmental Management Act, but just getting them to court was a whole journey in itself, with initial complaints falling on deaf ears. Joining me is our Fiji correspondent, Lide Muvono. Bula Lide, tell us more about today's sentencing. So High Court Judge Justice Daniel Gounder uh, began his sentencing today by saying that it was not within his power to imprison the offenders of this Environmental Management Act. And so uh, he said that because it was a corporation who committed this environmental crime and not a person, he wasn't able to exercise the provisions of the EMA, which allows the court to imprison for up to 10 years um, people convicted of an environmental crime. However, he did give the, the highest possible sentence possible under the Act, and that is $750,000 fine per each count. And so um, the Department of Environment had reported Free Soul Limited for two counts of breaching uh, provisions for unauthorized development. So what really happened was Free Soul Limited were given authority to develop quite an extravagant and elaborate resort complex on the island of Malolo. What it wasn't allowed to do was conduct any development, you know, over the coastal part of that property or the sea. Uh, however, Free Soul did uh, build a direct sea channel from the property that they have a lease to, to the ocean, which meant destroying quite a lot of coral reef infrastructure, as well as kilometers worth of mangroves, which our laws prohibit. And so this is a landmark case, Koroi, because our judiciary has never um, actually convicted anyone of an environmental crime. Just going back over the the case itself, there were a lot of a lot of moving parts and a lot of uh, different interests involved. I understand that there's the traditional landowners on Malolo. There's also some other other uh, another group of foreign uh, people that are also on the island that were also disrupted in all of this. That's right. So this case has been quite controversial and quite interesting from the very start. And so it's going back about five, six years or so. The landowners of Malolo uh, partnered with a couple of surfers who had leased land from the same landowners and were using it to just, you know, build 
um, a surf operation to just basically enjoy the island in its natural state. So what happened was both the landowners and these surfers had noticed over time that Free Soul Limited was actually damaging the marine environment around the island. So this particular island, Koroi, is on one of Fiji's most popular hotspots, the Mamanuda groups, which is, you know, part of the jewel that is the Western Division of Fiji and bringing in millions of dollars of foreign exchange each year. So they went through the normal government bureaucracy to try and halt the marine works on the island, but that didn't work. So they actually used a New Zealand-based media organization who conducted investigative reporting on the island and published these stories off outside of Fiji. And so that brought quite a lot of global attention onto the island. So eventually the government came in and the Department of Environment issued Free Soul Limited with a prohibition notice to stop the multi-million dollar works on the island in June of 2018. And so for years, it wasn't clear whether Free Soul Limited, you know, given its links to China, would be prosecuted. And there was heavy public pressure on the government and on the judiciary to see this case brought to court until the conviction was actually handed down last year. And now the sentencing, which was conducted in the High Court in order that Free Soul Limited receive the highest possible penalty. Yeah, super interesting. It's interesting that it had to take that external pressure to get it done. I wonder, does that does that point to some issues with um, local bureaucracy when it comes to these kind of developments? Well, I think on the part of the local bureaucracy, it's it's more to do with, you know, lack of experience. This being the first case, Justice Daniel Gander actually mentions it in his judgment to explain that, you know, he didn't have precedence. He didn't have any other um, uh, cases brought to court and successfully convicted uh, from which to draw his sentencing. So on the part of the government, it may speak to incompetency. It may speak to a lack of experience. The Environmental Management Act itself is quite new, um, below 20 years old, if I'm not mistaken, but um, having said that, though, the, the experience that these New Zealand journalists faced when they were trying to bring attention um, to this uh, story uh, was uh, spoke about intimidation, about intimidation that occurs in Fiji when, when people try to bring to light uh, issues of this sort. Um, and so um, the New Zealand um, journalists who came here, if I remember correctly, uh, we, Everyday New Zealand, did a story on how they were taken in by police. Held, held without charge and received, you know, pardon within the parliament. The prime minister of Fiji actually had to say in parliament during a parliament session that he intends to protect these journalists because, you know, there is freedom of expression and freedom of the media in Fiji. So, yes, there's, there's been a lot of global attention. There's been a lot of international attention. And uh, some might say that it's contributed to the successful conviction of uh, free soul early days yet but uh, any any reaction so far from um people in fiji from from people that you've been hearing to the to the sentencing Yes, Koroi. I'm seeing a, a lot of online chatter. There's a lot of social media postings, uh, people relieved. Of course, there are people that are not happy with the amount uh, that the court was able to find Free Soul Limited, saying that, you know, $1 million is not enough to conduct rehabilitative works on Malolo. So just as Daniel Gander requires of a Free Soul to pay $1 million to the Department of Environment, which will then supervise the rehabilitation 
Foundation works on the coral reef and the mangrove uh, forests around Malolo Island. Uh, but um, there are a lot of people that feel that that amount is not enough. Uh, Malolo has been surviving on, uh, you know, the travel industry, people coming there because of the beauty and pristine nature of the island. Um, but the Department of Environment had, during the initial uh, prosecution stages, um, submitted an assessment of the damage conducted by Friso Limited and valued it at just below 500,000 Fijian dollars. So people are happy that a conviction has been made because this sets the precedence. This means that people can be convicted of environmental crimes in this country and conservation um, scientists may even say, you know, there's a long line of people that need to be convicted for works they've done that's changed um, the environment of Fiji. And as you know, we're heavily dependent on that environment, not just for our travel industry, uh, but because most of the Fijian population live in these coastal areas of the country. Uh, but I think all around, people are happy. Uh, we're, I'm waiting on the conservation scientists' uh, community to respond. Uh, there is a consensus, though, that $1 million is not enough for the damage that was caused. Just, it just occurred to me, the, so this fine... Um, does it, uh, apologies if this is, is out, outside of anything that information that's available, but do they lose their, like, are they, is their license cancelled and has that already happened before they lost the right to develop or is this a fine and then go ahead, develop what you've, what you're developing on the land? That was the first point that I looked for when I looked at the judgment. When I looked at the judgment, it occurred to me that there, there is nothing said about whether or not free soul can continue. In fact, it's silent. And in the final point of Justice Daniel Gander's um, sentence, he does say that it's up to the Department of Environment to lift the prohibition notice or not, which uh, kind of alludes to the possibility that free soul still has the license to, to develop this resort that they uh, have already started to work on. So uh, that is kind of a confusing uh, part of this sentence and one that I suppose in the, in the next few days, uh, legal analysts may, may be able to uh, provide for us, uh, Karui. Yeah, hopefully we can get an answer from the ministry on that as well. That, that, thank you for that. We, we'll, we'll keep on asking questions on that front. Thank you, Lideo. As, as always, appreciate your, your insight and expertise and, and for being available for us at such short notice. Oh, you're very welcome, Corey. I love that today we're talking about successful conviction, conviction of environmental criminals. Naka. Next month's impeachment trial against CNMI Governor Ralph Torres is stirring already heightened political rivalries ahead of the elections later this year. On Friday, the governor's camp made a failed attempt to quash the proceedings on technicalities and pending the resolution of some contention around the prosecution team, the trial is set to go ahead early next month. There are six articles of impeachment against the governor for alleged commission of felonies, corruption and neglect of duty in violation of the CNMI constitution. Joining me is our CNMI correspondent, Mark Robago. Welcome back on Pacific Waves, Mark. If you can please start by taking us briefly back through the events leading up to this point. In this case, Governor Torres uh, is facing complaints of corruption, basically for misappropriating funds, even using, um, instead of uh, economy class, business class. There's a bunch of uh, stuff that I, want, I don't want to get into, but basically corruption charges. So uh, as you know, the House of Representatives is dominated by the 
the rival party of the governor, which is the Democratic Party. So they had a, an impeachment vote earlier this year, and uh, the governor was impeached because of the majority vote. And after his impeachment, the proceedings will have to go to the Senate. At the Senate, the House of Representatives will prosecute the governor with the senators serving as the jurors or the, the, the ones who will decide if he's guilty or not. Um, so what happened, fast forward to like the past, past few months, the governor uh, wants his charges uh, basically dismissed because he says that the House hasn't uh, done the, their prosecution, uh, their, their filings uh, accordingly. And uh, there's also some mistakes in the, in the paperwork itself, some lost paginations, grammatical errors. So they're trying to junk the charges on technicalities. So there was a vote last week, last Friday, supposed to be have nine senators, but two of them abstained. They didn't want to vote. One was because he was running as lieutenant governor uh, in the ticket for Torres. And the other one, I think it's something to do with familiar relations. Uh, so there were seven senators left to vote. In order for the dismissal to pull through, you need to have five votes, five out of the nine. Since two were gone, the vote went in favor of dismissal four to three, but still they didn't get the statutory requirement of five. It was ultimately junk, the dismissal. So we're now uh, waiting for the impeachment trial to begin and set in May 13. Um, there's still some contentions. For one, the Senate president, uh, Judah Schneider, uh, is opposed to the House of Representatives' suggestion uh, that they have a prosecution team. By the letter of the law, the Senate president is the one who appoints the prosecutor. And in this case, Judah Schneider just wanted one, which is a freshman lawyer, uh, Smogovnia, and uh, she doesn't want to be just alone. House Speaker uh, Villa Gomez wants a team. So they're in a crossroads right now. And uh, apparently, they haven't had any any uh, agreement on how to proceed. So that's where we are at that right now. And and how disruptive is this to the day to day politics, the the ongoing addressing day to day issues for for the public? Of course, it's a big distraction because if not not you are basically instead of doing the day to day operations of uh, running the government, the governor has to allot time for his defense in the Senate. And also the judiciary, this part, instead of working to make laws, do the business of revenue generating laws or something good for the people, they have to busy themselves with this impeachment trial. And also the people um, basically divides the islands in two sides, those who oppose and those who are in support of the governor. And being at election time, we're going to have an elections in November, it antes up the, the the animosity on island, you know, so yeah, it's a big big distraction during the pandemic. It's a loose loose for everybody everybody here. Cool. So, and so, uh, what timelines are we looking at going forward? So we're looking at. Um, let me just make sure. I think May thirteen, the trial begins, and um, the governor already went on record as saying that if he's invited to attend, he will attend, but still depends on his lawyer. 
and his counsel, if he, legal counsel, if he advises him to attend. And, and for the outcomes, what 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 happens in the case of a, a, a win, and what happens in the case of a loss for for the governor? Of course, if he's found guilty, he has to step down. When he steps down, the lieutenant governor, <laughs> which is funnily Arnold Palacios. He's also running for governor as an independent. So there's a lot of conflicts, right? So if that happens, Lieutenant Governor and gubernatorial candidate uh, Arnold Palacio steps in as the governor, the Senate president immediately becomes the Lieutenant Governor. And then the governor Senate has to elect its new Senate president, uh, not coming from Tinian anymore because it's revolving. They have to choose between Saipan and Rota for the next Senate president. And yeah, yeah, yeah basically that's, that's what happens. He has to step down. Right, if and, he, and, he, and if and if he wins this case, just goes back to yeah, normal. Back to normal, and you know, um, I don't know if he's gonna be feeling the heat since it's election time. But sometimes you, you never know. By the period, if some of these are just for electioneering, or is this real uh, allegations? Just my part, but you have to look at the evidence, and hopefully, the Senate. Since the dismissal was uh, was junk, we'll look at the evidence and judge it um, not along party lines, but using their conscience. An island in Vanuatu is on its way to becoming the focus of the cryptocurrency world. Satoshi Island near Santo will be the site of a crypto city if the group that owns the island succeeds in its plans. It aims to attract thousands of people to the island to live and work in a crypto-digital world. Don Wiseman spoke with the head of operations for the Satoshi Island development, Dennis Troyak, and began by asking him how they ended up on a somewhat remote island in Vanuatu. The idea behind Satoshi Island is to create a crypto city where 100% of the economy is run on a blockchain. And that will include the ownership of the land and houses, which is going to be represented via NFTs, as well as any of the licenses and any other grants to do with uh, a city living. Everything represented on the blockchain in a digital manner via NFTs. So you're expecting a significant number of people to come to this Satoshi Island? Uh, Yeah, sure. The number of people that are going to come to the island will, of course, depend on the accommodation that is available. It's a small island, isn't it? So what's the uh, Around 800 acres. We're looking at 2,100 plots of land. Each plot of land can um, sustain comfortably a grand house for a family of four. So, you know, so maximum population, you're looking at about, let's say, five to 10,000 people. And they would all be people from outside of Vanuatu? It would be anybody who purchases our original NFT, uh, which is we call a citizenship NFT. We call that because it's a perfect namesake. It's essentially like a membership, if you like, for access. Anybody who owns one of those, and, and then obviously anybody who owns one of those has the access uh, to lease or own uh, homes on the actual island. And why would they go there, though? So how I'm not sure how familiar you are with the sort of crypto industry. Um, at the moment, it's kind of spread all over the world. There is no one particular place for people who are 100% sort of dedicated to this particular industry where they can, can go and comfortably be surrounded with population of the same sort of mindset, you know, the same interests as such. Mm-hmm. And also the fact that at the moment, obviously, um, cryptocurrencies uh, haven't really been accepted into mainstream. So 
you know, for us, for example, to continue to um, live in a normal world, we would have to sell out our cryptocurrency holdings into fiat, so convert into fiat to pay our rent, to buy our groceries, etc. So what we're trying to create here is a place where people can go and live a true 100% crypto lifestyle where all purchases on the island are going to be in cryptocurrencies, you know, and everything else is going to be around digital ownership, NFTs, uh, and blockchain technology. The reason people resonate with it is because it's going to be a home of their own, you know, a home of our own, as we like to call it. But in a remote part of the world, in Vanuatu, Vanuatu's got a lot of things going for it, but it certainly doesn't have high-speed internet or anything like that, does it? And those are things that you're going to need, aren't you? Aren't you going to need some very sophisticated and powerful communications links? I wouldn't say sophisticated and powerful. I would say regular communication links that you can find where I am now in Australia, for example. And this infrastructure is something that would obviously will build up as the demand requires. At the moment, uh, they're very comfortable with the internet connections and everything else that you mentioned on the island. And obviously, we will just expand uh, and grow that infrastructure as demand requires. What's in it for Vanuatu? All of your spending is going to be in cryptocurrency. They're not going to earn any money out of you, are they? Yes. So, um, so one thing that we're really excited about is offering these job opportunities to local people. So obviously, for them as a company, you know, we don't mind converting and, and paying them properly. So, so there is a lot of interest for them based on the opportunities they're going to provide through jobs. Uh, and then they're not, they're not necessarily going to get, they're not going to get paid in crypto unless they choose to, of course. Uh, but also as we're building this and as, as it grows and the demand for it grows, we're very excited to also invest in local infrastructure such as hospitals, schooling and everything else. So we're hoping these little deeds uh, will be of help to the local people. I know you've been endorsed by the Prime Minister, but what sort of support otherwise have you had in Vanuatu so far? So the only thing I can say is the chatter and the rumours. And uh, if you go out into the import villa and sort of hang around there is... Uh, a lot of talk about Satoshi Island and everyone's very excited about what we're bringing. I suppose putting Vanuatu on the map to the world, you know, because crypto industry is huge and everyone's, you know, everyone's eyes on it from investors to innovators and things of that nature. And, you know, what we are hoping for the future is this island's going to provide this technological haven for people to come and, you know, and invent and innovate. And, um, you know, obviously all those innovations are going to be going to come with Vanuatu attached to them. You know, they've innovated this one particular thing on Satoshi Island in Vanuatu. This island was originally or used to be called Lataro Island, yes. didn't it? Your group, how has it acquired this island? So the island was for sale on a private island. And uh, when we were doing our research, into due restrictions of where, not necessarily where we wanted, but where this project is able to succeed. This is the place that we chose through our research and, uh, yeah, and acquired it after that. And you're all very excited about it. We're, we are extremely excited. You know, there's there's so many things involved. You know, it's it's as complicated of a project that is this simple. You know, the, the simplicity of this project is we're going to have this, we're going to build this city with this um, high-tech uh, modular infrastructure for crypto community and provide, you know, local community uh, opportunities, jobs, etc. But at the same time, you know, all the, all the tech that goes into it behind the scenes is also quite complicated. So essentially what we're doing is we're providing the rights to the land 
which you would get exactly the same from a land title, but it's going to be represented in a digital form via an NFT. So that's exciting. It's definitely an innovation. It's definitely something that hasn't been done yet. Uh, and it's yeah exciting for us to be sort of the pioneers and the first uh, to get it done. That brings us to the end of Pacific Waves for today. Remember, you can download us free to your device from Spotify, iHeart, Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us ratings so others can also find us. Arirang.